You're listening to Life After Berkeley. I'm Curtis Killian. Today, a conversation with Donnie McCaslin, saxophonist, composer, and bandleader enlisted by David Bowie to play on what became his 25th and final studio album. Just weeks after the January 8th release of Black Star and shock of Bowie's death two days later, I spoke with McCaslin over the phone about the recording process and how he and his jazz quartet from New York City became David Bowie's final backing band. You and your quartet are on David Bowie's last album, Black Star, which I'm a huge fan of. Uh, I've been a Bowie fan, like many people, forever. Mm. Um, so I was so mm. excited when uh, the first single came out, and the whole album's beautiful, and, and congrats on that. And and again, my condolences. I know everybody's sort of grieving collectively about this loss, but it's such a wonderful gift. I'd love to hear more about the process of how you got the call. Absolutely. I mean, well, first of all, you know, thank you for your feedback on it, and and uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm so happy to hear that, that that you're enjoying it so much, and and it was an absolute joy to be a part of. Um, if you could imagine, uh, he's such a such an amazing artist. Um, the reason, the way it came to be, Curtis, was that I uh, I'm a member of the Maria Schneider Orchestra. And I've I've been in her band for like 12 years as a full-time member, and I used to sub fairly regularly when she had this weekly gig at Visiones in New York City uh, in the 90s. And um, she was collaborating with David Bowie in 2014. Um, spring, I think, or early summer 2014, she was getting together with him to write a song. And that song is called Sue or is it, or in a season of crime. So during that time when they were writing, she played David a record of mine called casting for gravity. And that, well, she played him the record and then she suggested to him that he do something with me and my band. Then what happened was she brought him down to the 55 bar, which is a club that I play at regularly in New York city. And, she brought him down to hear me and my band play one night. And it was around the same time that we did two workshop rehearsals for the Sue piece. Now, Miss Maria has a big band, but um, she, her, I, her normal drummer couldn't make the recording date, which was, I think, in late July 2014. So I had suggested that she use uh, Mark Juliana who's in my band and is an amazing drummer and has his own amazing band called beat music. And it's just, you know, one of the, he says the project with Brad Meldow, you know, he's an amazing player. So I thought he would be a great fit. And, um, so we had a, we had a small group workshop session with Mark and Jay Anderson on bass and Ryan Keverly on trombone and Maria and David and Tony Visconti, who, um, is David's longtime friend and producer. So we did, we did a rehearsal and, and I, and I talked to David some, and then, um, we did another rehearsal and then, he, and I, I, I forget the exact, um, sequence of events, but there were these two rehearsals about a week apart and the 55 bar gig that they came to were all around the same time, like late June, 2014. So it was after, it was after the 55 bar gig that he emailed me and, um, sent me an MP3 of song and asked if I'd like to, to record with them. And, um, 
you know, of course I was, I was, uh, I was thrilled to have the opportunity and, and, you know, I think I, I, of course I responded affirmatively. And then I also said to him, you know, as much as you want to do, we're good to do, you know, <laughs> we'd love to, we'd love to do it with you. So, um, I think initially, uh, it was like one or two songs, but that, but, but that, um, pretty quickly, um, grew to like six or seven songs. So the first, we, we set aside a week in January of 2015 to record those seven songs. And, and it was the first week of January and we, we went through those seven songs and uh, he might've taught us, a, you know, maybe did a couple more that week. And then at the end of the week, David said he wanted to, to, to reconvene in about a month. So the first week of February, we got together for another week and, uh, in the time in between, he sent me another batch of songs. And I can't remember how many it was, but I'm, you know, I'm going to guess it was being, you know, four or five, maybe six. So we recorded those songs. And so the group to this point was a Mark Juliana, as I mentioned on drums, Tim LaFave on electric bass, Tim who's originally from Foxborough, Massachusetts, um, Jason Linder on keyboards, who's originally from New York city um, and myself. And, and it was the four of us with David. Um, and then at the end of the February sessions, David again, uh, wanted to reconvene. So we, we, we did about four or five days in March. And this time we added Ben Monder, an amazing guitar player who had, who's actually been in, was in my band for a long time and, and did various records with me. Um, and he's also on, the track that we recorded with Maria's band called Sue or in a season of crime. He's the guitar player on that track. So, um, so that's a kind of an overview of what happened. And then after those four or five days, Ben did another day of guitar overdubs. And then in mid April, uh, Tony Visconti who produced the record reached out to me and, uh, to come in and do an overdub session. So I went to his studio, um, with David, and Tony and I, you know, just I, did, I overdubbed a second stack solo on Tis a Pity She Was a Whore and overdubbed some spook stuff on Black Star. And that was about it until I, that was it for me and, until I heard the record in its entirety for the first time in mid-November. It sounds like a bit of a whirlwind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a whirlwind. And I think it was, um, it was really interesting because in some ways I, I didn't know what to expect because I, I had these songs as I was, as I mentioned to you. And so I, I tried to learn them inside and out and I made scores for them and I, um, kind of orchestrated the horn parts, you know, with the different woodwinds I play and I, um, you know, added some counterpoint or add things here and there to the horn lines, but I didn't know, you know, what to expect, like with the song forms, I didn't know if the demo was what he envisioned the final product being for months or if he wanted to open things up. Like I didn't really know, um, which was, which was cool because ironically in the end, almost all the songs, the form is what he sent me. Um, the band and I, we, we actually got together one day, a couple of days before the recording sessions, the first set of sessions in January, we got together one day to rehearse just to make sure we were, totally on point with all the song forms and, uh, um, you know, the chord changes and all that stuff. And, and so we were all set to go. And then, you know, he, he had a really, um, 
uh, open and collaborative spirit about the recording. I mean, David encouraged us to try anything and everything that we heard. And um, he was open to all the woodwind stuff that I, um, that I came, that I brought to the session and suggested. And, and, um, you know, he encouraged Mark to play odd meter stuff, to do, you know, to do metric modulation stuff. He just, you know, he said something to me in the beginning, like, Donnie, I don't know what's going to happen with this, but let's just have some fun. And it was that, you know, real fearlessness on his part. And, um, um, and it was tremendous. I mean, he was singing with us when we were playing, we were in the magic shop, which is this um, iconic studio in New York city. And, and, uh, in the live room, uh, it was Mark and, and Tim and Jason and later Ben and David. And I was right next to David in this booth and I could see him, you know, right in front of me. And, and so we really had this, um, we were in a, a close space together and there was a lot of interaction and, um, I'm so happy that that interaction, I'm proud that that interaction is captured on the record. You know, it, it feels like a band. Um, and that's how we certainly felt when we were recording it. Let's listen to some of the lead single, Black Star. sounds almost live did you record yeah it was all live i mean well no that's that's well let let me actually that's slightly misleading i mean it was live um of of course but when you hear like on black star for example the 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 lead tenor part and the solo was all live but then i overdubbed um other saxophone harmonies i overdubbed the flute stuff um of course the bass and drums was live and, and David singing was live. And I, I think subsequently he replaced some of the vocals cause it was so much bleed from the drums into the vocal mic. But, um, uh, the guitar on black star was live. Um, and Jason overdubbed some keyboards as you can imagine, cause Jason had like nine keyboards there. So he, you know, we, it was basically like we would, we would get the take in one or two, the first or second take was usually the one or maybe sometimes the third take. So it was pretty quick. And then once we had the take in place, we would um, layer on top of it. You know, maybe David, David would add a vocal part or two. I would add the woodwind section. Jason would maybe add a keyboard or two. So, yeah, I've, I've read that uh, Bowie was a fan of doing just two or three takes and then moving on. So that's interesting that he, uh... yeah. Yeah. He was very, um, uh, I've said this before in some interviews. I mean, one thing that really was so impressive and inspiring to me about him was that he was from the moment he walked in the door, he was fully engaged and fully present in the process. And, uh, you know, whether he was singing or not singing, he was completely, um, he was completely in every, um, every aspect of it. And that, that was really, you know, inspiring to me. Um, so it sounds like, you know, you, you got demos, uh, and then, 
technically we're prepared, I imagine, um, through your Berkeley experience. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk more about that, but I, I imagine that you'd have to like mentally and emotionally prepare on a different level for this. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the, the thing that that comes to mind is, you know, I I come from I grew up in Santa Cruz, California, which is a small town with a, actually a very vibrant music scene. And I had a lot of experience playing music before I got to Berkeley. But, um, you know, at Berkeley, I was um, around a lot of extremely talented people my my own age, a lot of whom played the same instrument, but, you know, who played a lot of different instruments. So I was, ex- I was suddenly coming here from a small town. I was suddenly exposed to a sea of, of wonderfully talented people who I guess were my peers and um, I learned a lot from them. I got exposed to a lot of different types of music and, and, um, and all that. And I would say that, that I'm trying to think of how to, how to articulate this Curtis, but the um, being at Berkeley and thrust into this or being in this world where, where, um, the boundaries of music or styles were pretty fluid. You know, I was, you know, doing a big band rehearsal and then I would go do a studio session playing in a horn section maybe, or, but, you know, I was just exposed to so many different types of playing situations and different types of musicians um, that were my own age that I was interacting with. Um, that was a really uh, a great experience to help me to broaden my, um, broaden my musical language you know a lot of that and a lot of that does come from the musical dna that i grew up with playing in my father's band and playing in santa cruz california and um but but it was really it was really nurtured at berkeley where there was just um so many talented people and 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 and, uh playing different styles of music so i think it really helped me to um it helped to lay the foundation for me to be able to step into different musical situations and feel comfortable. And then also just the experience of hours and hours and hours of jam sessions, ensemble playing, recording sessions. There's no substitute for that kind of um, experience, um, which I did get at Berkeley. And, and that um, helped, has really helped me to, you know, be a professional musician. Bowie being a sax player, did that, did he have any like specific input on style or did he just kind of let you run free? And it seems like he was really good at picking talent wisely and letting them just excel. Oh yeah. No, he, he, he let me run free. Yeah. It was, uh, it was really wide open. And, um, one thing that was really, was, um, a really neat for me about the Sue, um, the way that Sue happened was, you know, I did the solo at the end of the day and I had, I had no idea um, how much of it they were going to keep. And I had just, I kind of assumed it was going to be a few notes here and a few notes there kind of thing, because as you know, the song itself is pretty dense, you know, with the, with the, with the orchestra playing and, you know, there's so much happening. And what, you know, I was sort of blown away when I heard it for the first time. And I was like, Oh my goodness, I'm playing like I'm soloing through the <laughs> whole thing. <laughs> and they kept it all. They kept it all, which was wonderful. I mean, because I, I was I, I really worked hard to prepare for that because um, I wasn't sure what to expect again, and 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 
And there's, again, there's so much going on in the piece. I thought, you know, I was trying to find where are the places that I can play and what do I play that's not going to clash with the, with the orchestra and with what David is singing. So, um, so I was, I was, um, so happy with how it came out. Yeah. And it's, it's striking how different the, uh, album version is from the black star version. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talked about, that was a conscious thing. I actually, that was one song where, um, that's the, that's the song that we did the most takes of for sure. And because we were kind of exploring and, and I'm talking about the, the, the black star version, we were kind of exploring, well, how do we make this different and not from the original version? And actually I, I think I had said, um, that I thought it would be nice to try a version that was just really stripped down um, from Maria's and it was just featuring David, his singing and drum and bass kind of going crazy as Mark and Tim do so magnificently. And um, so we tried a few versions where I was essentially cueing the two different sections, but it just, you know, it wasn't really coming together um, so we ended up going back to the song form of the version that Maria did, um, for the most part. So, so we went back to that, but, but I think also keeping, keeping the spirit of featuring the bass and the drums and David's vocals. And, um, I, so yeah, we, I guess we came to, we got a take like that that felt really good and, and um, I was kind of going, you know, I was playing a soul at the end and, and um, everything. And then the next day overnight, I was thinking about it and I, I took out Maria's score and I kind of did a reduced version for clarinets and flute and alto flute. So I added all that stuff, all that woodwinds. Um, and then we had this, the version, it was kind of laden with woodwinds and, and, and the saxophone solo and, and everything. But um, the final version was really neat because they stripped away a lot of the woodwinds and they took the sat the most of the sax solo out. So it was back in a way, it was back to the original idea, I think of really featuring his voice and bass and drums. And, and I, I love it. I mean, I love that. Um, I love that song and that version. Uh, I love both versions, but they're, they're, they're interesting. And, you know, one thing I would say about this version, the newer version, is that I feel like it really, there's, there's a spot near the end where David modulates, um, like up a half step or something. And it was the spontaneous thing that happened, and it was so beautiful, and, and how we all kind of merged there together. And I felt like that was, you know, one really kind of overt example of that kind of interaction that we were talking about. Because he, when he was singing, you know, he was very, his vocals were very strong, very passionate sang with a lot of conviction and it was really a spark plug for us. And, and we are used to the back and forth and playing off each other and the communication and trying to make those, um, trying to come up with something together. And then he was this new, a new, um, really strong voice in that. And, and I just love that. That was just like, you know, there was just a spontaneous moment of his. It was like, a, you know, any a jazz, you know, somebody blowing and taking something up a half step and the band modulating. I mean, it's just so great. And Mark and Tim, you know, just go completely nuts at the end. It's so, it's so, um, it's so energetic and killing. I really, I love that. Let's listen to a little bit of that now. So 
Here's another interesting story. Was you know the song Lazarus? Yeah. We were practicing the song, and Tim just started playing that arpeggiated thing, and David immediately said, "Oh, I really like that." And you know, just kind of that whole intro that you hear and outro just kind of happened spontaneously in the studio. And David heard something he liked, identified it, and encouraged us to develop it. And it ended up being this really beautiful part of the tune, I think. Um, so, ah, as an example, example of this, you know him being so um, engaged and collaborative and open to, you know, open to what, 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 what was going on. Let's listen. core band yeah i mean let's say roughly four or five years so i imagine yeah. you guys already had a great chemistry and then sort of inserted yourself into the great chemistry that bowie and visconti already had in the studio yeah exactly so exactly so it's, it sounded like a really natural uh you know mixture of of jazz background and exploratory um rock I read that Bowie was influenced heavily by the Kendrick Lamar album and the like D'Angelo. He was listening to different things that were sort of out of the norm of their genre. I, I was curious if, uh -huh. if he had uh, any direction like that or if you, you, he had any examples of inspirations. He, from what I could tell, he was a person who listened to a lot of music and really processed a lot of music. Definitely the Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar record and D'Angelo's record were mentioned, but also a lot of other stuff. And, and I think that's one thing that was really impressive for me and inspiring about him is just um, the amount of music he would process and literature, by the way. And it was neat to hear him and Tony talk about influences of theirs from their youth and from their time in Berlin, you know, um, it was it was really uh, really neat to, to to hear them talk about that. So they, those you know very I, my sense is that he's in a very broad very broad range of things that he would listen to. I, I was just curious how this differed from your other experience as a band leader and a composer. Yeah, it was it was it was different because um, I guess a couple of things come to mind. One is that the the pacing was was a lot more relaxed than a jazz record. Um, not that a jazz record is fraught with, you know, being rushed or anything, but usually you're making a record in one or two days in the jazz world. And, and in this instance, we had, we had, um, we had multiple days at our disposal. And so I guess one thing that was different was having that sense that we have time. We don't have to do six tunes a day, but also it gave me the, um, the luxury to feel like I could, I could delve into these songs with the different woodwind um, sounds I was hearing or, or orchestration. I guess it, it gave me, it gave me a chance to, to delve into the 
orchestration realm more than I usually am able to do. And it's the first time I think that I did something like that where I was playing all the different instruments. And um, it also it's unfolded pretty organically um, that way. Um, I guess another thing, you know, other things I take away from the session and are kind of general things about David and, and just feeling um, so grateful to him for, for his great, uh, you know, generous spirit. And he was, you know, humble and, and really gracious and, and really funny. You know, there was uh, a lot of fun banter uh, amongst, uh, amongst the band in the studio um, but also, he was, you know, again, he was very focused and on some of the songs, he was working out the lyrics as we were uh, tracking and stuff. And and it was just a great creative environment. And I'm grateful to have been able to be in that space for a prolonged amount of time, prolonged in relation to the jazz world again, you know, uh, where, you know, we recorded for about three weeks, right? And and usually in the jazz world, as we were talking about earlier, it's just a day or two. So it was so great to be in that creative space for that 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 much time because it was the, the 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 sum total that we spent in the studio was close to three weeks, and that's a lot longer than most jazz records. So, um, so it was it was it was um, it was so fun to work that way, and to have time to to layer parts and 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 experiment with things like that. Were there any songs that didn't make the cut? Yeah, yeah, there were. And they were really great songs too. There was, there was, um, he, you know, every song was really on point. I thought um, every song that, that that he sent me, or and even some that he stopped, taught us in the studio, all that he taught us in the studio, everything was really strong. So I don't, you know, I can't remember. We were talking about it yesterday, or the day before, with the band, um, trying to remember how many tunes exactly did we record, and we we can't quite remember but it's probably you know there's probably another seven or eight that we did that didn't come out so um you know who knows what will what will come of them but 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 boy there's some really strong ones in there i guess if there's a single memory that stands out from from the recording of black star or, or anything that you haven't touched upon that maybe strikes you at this moment uh, anything else you'd like to share yeah i would say i would say the um the joy on david's face when we would have that take and it felt, you know, everybody was feeling that it was the take and then just seeing the joy on his face was, was, um, was very moving to me. It's beautiful. That was a conversation with 1988 Berkeley alumnus, Donnie McCaslin. McCaslin plans to record another album and continue to tour with his group this year and returns to the stage with Steps Ahead this July. Music featured today includes No Wise from Donnie McCaslin's Fast Future and selections from Black Star, which has become the first number one album from David Bowie, himself a 1999 honorary degree recipient from Berkeley. Thanks for listening, and to find out more about the great things alumni are doing around the world, visit alumni.berkeley.edu.